by just being there in the community for a long time. It's like, okay, we're supposed to be work at four, but they came at six. That's okay. We can start working. By being able and willing to spend time that way, it allowed me to see more things. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Jose Ome Navarrete Mazatl. Jose is a co-artistic director of NACA Dance Theater in San Francisco, California. Since he and fellow dancer Debbie Kajiyama founded NACA in 2001, the company has worked with a wide array of communities in the Bay Area, as well as internationally, to explore urgent social justice issues. Among the many communities and organizations with whom NACA has partnered over the years are the Eastside Arts Alliance, a cultural and empowerment space for Black youth in East Oakland, and Mujeres Unidas y Activas, a social and economic justice organization of Latina immigrant women. NACA has presented and discussed its work all over the world, including at the Hemisphere Institute's 2007 Encuentro in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and in 2008 and 2014 as the San Francisco representative in Scuba's multi-state tours. Jose himself was a 2018 U.S.-Japan Creative Artists Fellow, a 2019 Dance USA Artist Fellow, and just this year, Jose was one of only six choreographers to receive a prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship. I asked Jose what in his training or education, whether as an activist or as a dancer, best prepared him for the work he's doing today. Well, I need to tell you right now that I am in Mexico City. I was born in Mexico City in 1967, and all my education happened here. I moved to California when I was 22. But pretty much my my elementary, my high school, and also a little bit of my college education was formed in Mexico. Always I was drawn by the artistic expression. And because I'm coming from a working class family, that was not appreciated. So it was a lot of fighting for me to even, you know, tell my mother or my, my siblings, oh, I want to go to take classes. <laughs> it was so weird for them. So, but I managed myself to do that. And um, I found a group of a youth program that they were doing jazz dance and they were working in gymnasiums and we, do, we were doing choreography and doing presentations in other gyms in the neighborhood. I think that's where I felt I started contemplating the idea of creating movement and creating movement work to share with communities. And then after that, with a friend of mine, I start learning clowning. And then we start going to hospitals. We start to go into, you know, kindergartens. We, do, we were doing children's parties. So that really helped me a lot. I think that was kind of pretty much the foundation that I felt, oh, that's that's something very interesting, like working very close with communities. And then I decided to go to the conservatory. I, I did a little bit of contemporary dance and classical dance in, in the Institute of Fine Arts in Mexico City before I immigrated to, to the United States. 
Tell me, what did clowning teach you that you couldn't have learned simply from uh, purely movement-based education? I think it was this idea of, of welcoming people or like being funny, but welcoming and being a trickster. I love, I, I love to be a trickster, actually. <laughs> um, I do a lot of training of, of contact dance contact movement and uh, I found myself that when I dance with somebody I like to trickster I, I like to go to different places in movement and I think I found it there I, I, I like these little moments of laughs and wiggling by being with the children or you know putting a like a funny face and you know trying to run with the dog or something so I like I thought it was very that was a very important skills for me, even to navigate with communities. I don't think I am a clowning, but per se, but I am a funny person. <laughs> and that has been allowing me to get to know the community, like access to different communities through, you know, being welcoming and funny and making jokes. So then how did you come to marry your passion for movement and clowning and being a trickster with the very serious purpose of civic engagement. How did those two develop together? Well, I think it was a moment that I think in 2001, I found my company with my collaborator, David Kajijama, Nakadan Cedar. And we decided to found our company because we were kind of unrepresented in the dance community. We in what way? That it was like the venues, the people, it was very, you know, very white. It was very Eurocentric. And we wanted to, David and I, we have the, we love cultures. We are, we love cultures and we love communities. So like we wanted to be, our work is informed by these connections of cultural traditions or cultural dances that we found in our environment or in another parts of the world. So I think that something I couldn't find it in my environment. So that's I think that was one of the motifs, the impetus for me to to create my own company to support my own artistic work based on community and cultural dances at that time. I think I think my first project with my company was about the Day of the Dead. We were trying to bring the Obon Festival of Japan that also celebrates their ancestors with the Dia de los Muertos, the Mexican tradition. So we were working with the Japanese community to learn the Obon dances and trying to bring the Katrina, all these figures of the dead in the Mexican culture to mix it and put it together. So that was something very interesting to me, like, oh, how this cultural narratives come together how they hybrid and come together because it was very interesting we found the connection so deeply because they were honoring the ancestor they were celebrating the, the, their their families no longer here so that was something very interesting and then the following project was working with latino transgender group in the mission wow so, that's that's a that's a big leap from doing completely cultural day of the dead so <laughs> completely it was How like, did that come it was about? like like it was well because i in order to survive i need to do i i start working in a health center a community health center in, in the mission we were doing aids prevention for a monolingual latino community 
And one of the things that they create was an expression of creating context, pigeon, pigeon context with the members of the community there. And we, we start making a, a drag queen storytelling project with them. That also is kind of a little bit of cultural, but it's this kind of fantasy of sequences and, you know, like very like um, melodramatic songs and ballads and everything. So, yeah, it was a completely different leap <laughs> of what we were doing in, in the previous one. And then what, could you explain to me what you mean by teaching them context? Well, teaching them context in the sense that that we were putting their stories or like, for instance, if, if I am talking about the Latino community, the, the drag transgender community, we were interested in put them in a, a scenario, in a theatrical environment that it involves, you know, like rehearsal, it involves setting up a show, like rehearsing, putting, knowing your craft and trying to figure out the sequences with other people and making a show, the whole thing of making a show. And I think that's what I, I mean by bringing context in that kind of thing, like using the theatrical platform to support their artistic endeavors. And so how do you how do you and your partner and collaborator, Debbie, collaborate in coming up with new ideas and implementing them? What what is your collaborative style? I think we look at we we look at our lives in the political and social context of what is really happening in the world. I mean, that's how we, I think how, this is how we decide, okay, we are going to do something about the police brutality in the border because we saw the the Anastasio, Anastasio Hernandez Rojas being lynched in the border by 17 police officers. Like, it really impacted me so much that I couldn't figure it out myself what to do as a citizen. So when we saw it, I said, like, what we need to do? Let's Okay, let's start to figure out what we need to do. So at that time, I started working at Eastside Arts Alliance, which is a cultural center in deep East Oakland. I was working there, and I said, like, I want to do a piece about police, uh, Anastasio and Rojas of the border, the police brutality in the border. And they say, like, oh, well, if you want to do that, you need to start also talking about the youth in East Oakland about police brutality. So that's how I we started working with the community of East Oakland, the youth of East Oakland, and then going with these communities to the border to meet the family of Anastasio Hernandez Rojas and see the tremendous, horrifying experience of killings in the border. I think for me to even choose something, it needs to impact me the most. And in order to even make sense of it, I like I need to navigate into this artistic illuminations for me to even keep going. Now you've worked in a wide range of communities, not only in San Francisco, but also in Mexico and Japan. What was the most important skill you had to learn when approaching a community that was new to you? And did you make any mistakes? Hmm. I think it was a, a very, uh, a, a threshold when when we were with Skywatchers at the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. Skywatchers? Skywatchers. And who are they? They are uh, residents. They are like uh, single occupancy uh, residents. And there is a group 
run by Anne Bluthenthal. They create storytelling and movement talking about the Tenderloin, the lives in the Tenderloin. So we were invited to be working with them. But one thing that happened to me when I started working with Sky Watchers was that uh, I studied dance. I went to meals. I studied contemporary dance so that, you know, I know production and I know that I need to do schedules and everything. And then when I went with them, you know, it's like, okay, we all want to um, meet for rehearsal these times. And okay, everybody will call you and everything. And all the rehearsals that were planned, most of them, they didn't show up. And if they show up, they show up two two hours later, uh-huh. right? So I was very confronted, like, oh my god, like, no, I mean, like, we need to move in a different way. Like, it's a community. So we start hanging around in the community, like we were like not that frustrated, but it's like, oh, they didn't show up for the rehearsal, but just being there in the community for a long time, it's like, okay, we're supposed to be work at four, but they came at six. That's okay. We can start working by being able and willing to spend time that way. It allowed me to see more things. It allowed me to see, hear stories of the community, find characters that they were really powerful in the community, gatekeepers. So, like, it was really powerful to me to say, like, wow, I don't need to, you know, bring my set of mind or how to create production or how to create performances, but just like, I need to be able and willing to just hang out and see what happened with them. And for me, that was really powerful. Like they really opened me up to see something different. Another aspect that it was really powerful that when we decided to do performances, I said, okay, we're going to do performances on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, We knew that some people were not that kind of like responsible in terms of, of coming to the show. So we did a second plan because actually, usually I work with uh, collaborators that they are dancers and performers and the community. So we have a lot of facilitators so that we can, you know, try to help the community to come together. But if the community doesn't have, doesn't come together when, when we need them in their part, the dancers jump in as a second option to keep our project going. And that for me, that was really powerful. But it was also very fascinating because in, in sometimes, even though they didn't show up at this at the time that we support they supposed to be doing the show or they came late, they jump right in the performance. So that was like like a, a beautiful magical moment that they came when they need to come and whatever happened, it was beautiful. Oh <laughs> so, so for me. Wow. So you're saying if the if a performance started and one of your a collaborator dancers was in the piece, a, a community dancer could come in and if she was late, could just take over the part midway through the performance? Yes. And that That's was magical. Amazing. So how do you think you and Naka have impacted the field of performance up to now? I, I the thing is like there is so many amazing artists here that works also with communities like Amara Tabursmi, Dohi Lee, you know, they're they are really powerful doing this work. I do feel that the strength that we have is to think about the work. It takes multiple years. The timeline to do that is not like one year or two years, like it, it takes a long time to chill in. And we love um visuals we love elements we love things that are 
in the architecture, things that are embedded in places and sites that hold history. And I think that's something that I, that people like that, the people like that, 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 that we, we inquire our places, our visual elements, our, and working deeply listening to the community. I think that's something that I think is how we have contributed or have uniqueness in the work that we do in our community. To think about time, to think about quality time, to think about breaking the, the structure of who we are as artists. The timeline you're talking about sounds very un-American and more European to me, <laughs> namely the idea that great works of art take more than a year to put together. That's a real challenge for uh, a company that's based in America. How, how do you keep it going? How do you fund it? It's extremely challenging. It's extremely, extremely challenging. I think a project called Looking for You, Buscarte, that I got first funding, I think it was 2017. And um, I love the project so much. It was about disappearance for disappearance in Mexico. And I loved it so much. But after that, we didn't get any funding. But now all these seeds that we put at that time are growing and we are working with uh, families, collectives in Mexico, looking for the children, going to mass graves and becoming experts of forensic anthropology, how to deal with the government and everything. They're really powerful. And they are using art as a healing mechanism for them. I don't have money to do that. <laughs> money to, to work with them, but but the energy is there. So like and it's challenging because I, it's like you know, like. So this is a just to make just to be clear. This is a project that that's uh, about people who've been disappeared in in Mexico, right? Yes, mm-hmm. I see. And so you're saying there's people who are becoming forensic anthropologists in the community just to find out. Yes, where they've gone, and then because um, because we have been building a relationship. Those relationships are becoming really strong right now, oh. and then it's making me think like, oh. Because for one time, maybe it, uh, I think on 2019, I said like, okay, I'm going to wrap up Buscarte. I'm going to kind of close it. And then it's like everything, this is it for Buscarte. And then it wasn't. It is still alive mm-hmm. and it's still emerging from so many places that I think I need to really see what is really happening in, in my, what I put, what the seed took me. And now like this, amazing collectives i am working with these amazing amazing collectives with no resources but they are extremely powerful and i this is the work that is the work that i need to be doing it's inspiring it's teaching me so much it's making me think about how important it is to create memory for the people that they are looking for them how to activate streets by doing that, by creating their memory, because the government is not able to support that, to erase, you know, they are erasing that those identities. So it, for me, it's really powerful. Finally, what if you could go back and meet yourself when you were in high school and college? What piece of advice would be particularly useful to the young Jose as he's think as he's starting to craft his career? Well, definitely, I make deep connections with people that have a cultural experience. I think for me, working with Mujeres Unidas and having the experience of being an immigrant 
is very powerful to me because I did that. I, 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 I am an immigrant. It's very powerful to me to my relationship with them. I am a grassroots. I am a, a base community because I understand to be an immigrant. And that's how I feel my connection is. Also, I found very funny when there is a cultural element that everybody knows and I re-emphasize it. I was like, oh yeah, you you like that song. Oh yeah, that's funny song. Oh yeah, let's sing it. Like, you know, like, like trying to use cultural elements to bring people together. I think that's something that maybe I learned when I was a little young. Like I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's sing that song that everybody knows, all right? So like really create connections through, I think, popular culture that, that allows me to give me an access to meet people uh, from different backgrounds in a different way. Sometimes I feel, I don't know. I think it was very abstract what I uh, share with you, but it uh, makes sense to me. I think it, it's kind of meeting people where they're at rather than being an artist coming from outside and kind of being prescriptive. It's just finding what already gets them excited. Yeah, that's right. Like how, I think that's kind of my um, the magic of working with communities, like how they are excited about it, what that what it excites them about, and try to support that, and of course try to support that and and make them think a little bit more different, right? Like trying to advance their own process, their transformation. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I do have another question, which is: so you you were recognized with a Guggenheim Fellowship, how which is a big deal. How important was that? <laughs> I I I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I wasn't expecting that. I yeah, I mean like I have seen the changes of Guggenheim, the panelists that they are looking for something different. But I wasn't expecting to get it. I don't know why. Maybe because my work is a, a very grassroots, something that it involves a community, you know, a very local community, like you know, hyper local. And I'm not interested in European perspectives in looking at my work or my artistic work. So I'm not interested in that. I am really interested in cultures that elevates your liberation. So for me, just like looking that like I am that's what I am striving for. I, I wanted to be able to reflect and inquire deeply in my ancestral knowledge, the knowledge that has been passing through generation through generations as a way of resisting this imperialism and this imperialism, colonialism that still exists in us. So for me, it's very important to reclaim, refine that knowledge and find those connections when I can in navigating my life. That's what I'm looking for. No, because there is so much. I mean, like the more I go and see even the healing processes of my culture, the more I look at it, the more more people are more interested and, and there is more information available for us in that way. And it oh, is so you, you're, you're, you're definitely seeing a change. Oh, definitely. I feel like, yeah, reclaiming your ancestral power and knowledge. Is, I love that. It's very powerful to me. And I wanted, I mean, I am promoting that as well as finding new ways within that ancestral culture, new ways to move, new ways to navigate, new, new ways to talk. Yeah, that's that's why I'm interested in. So I'm really happy that I got that prestigious award. Definitely it opened doors for more funding, which I appreciate. 
If you'd like to learn more about Jose, please visit uncsa.edu slash artrestart. We're bringing you some wonderful interviews in coming episodes, so be sure to subscribe. And if you know of any amazing artists, change makers in your own neighborhood, or if you yourself are such an artist, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at PCTalenti. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thanks so much for listening.